Well, what's going on, Quarterstone? Hey, man. Did anybody come excited about Jesus this weekend? Let's go. Hey, all, my name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful, so thankful for each and every one of you that decided to come and hang out with us. Also, before I say anything else, man, I got to give a major, major shout out to all of our first-time guests. Quarterstone, let's make some noise for our first-time guests. Even though this may be your first time, it is my prayer that it definitely will not be your last time. So if it is your first time, you're catching us at the end of a series we've now been in for four weeks. This is week number five called Relationship Restart. Y'all, I've had a blast having the chance to teach this series. And just to give you a quick recap, uh, week number one, we had a conversation around navigating conflict. And here's what we said. Maybe just maybe when you and I find ourselves in conflict, the goal isn't to be right. The goal is to be light, to live and to love like Jesus. Week number two, we went forward and said, all right, well, what's going to be the first step in uh, trying to reconcile a relationship? And here's what we said. Instead of putting so much energy and attention on what they did, let's own the part of what we did. And we said that peace begins with a look in the mirror. Week number three, we dived a little bit deeper on the conversation as it relates to reconciliation, and here's what we said. Aim for reconciliation, but if you miss, miss with no regrets. Try to do all you can to reconcile so that in the end you have no regrets for trying. And then last week, we had a conversation about the difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. And here's what we said. While reconciliation is optional... Forgiveness is mandatory. So what do we do now in this final week? Uh, here's what I would say. I know that there are some people here who you have relationships that you truly do want to see reconciled. The overarching theme for this entire series is not how to get back at them, but how to get back with them. But what do you do when the person you're trying to get back with is stubborn, is hard-headed, doesn't like to listen, who refuses to change. Here's what I would say. Here's my final piece of advice. I believe Scripture teaches that you and I, in those moments, we should take that person and we should simply place them in God's hands. Now, here's the thing. How do I place a person in God's hands? Y'all, I don't believe when you and I make the decision to say, hey, God, I'm going to give them over to you and let you deal with them. I don't believe that that's a completely and totally passive activity. As a matter of fact, I think that's an active activity. So how do I actively place a person in God's hands? Here's our big idea today. I fight with faith, not with feelings. Say it again. I fight with faith, not with feelings. Anytime you and I got to deal with a person who's hard-headed, who's stubborn, who doesn't want to change, who doesn't want to make a difference, you and I, if we're not careful, can find ourselves putting so much emotional energy into the relationship to when conflict arrives, our feelings get in the way. And feelings that are not led by the Holy Spirit always lead to a bad final result. So as today we make this decision to place a person in God's hands, I want to teach you and I how to fight with faith and not with feelings. I'm excited for the conversation. Join me, if you would, in a word of prayer. Whew. 
Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for being a guide, for being a comforter. In this moment, I decrease and ask that you would increase. Hide me behind the cross. Let me say only what it is you want me to say and nothing more than that. And my prayer is that at the conclusion of this message, every single one of us would walk out of this room with the peace that surpasses all human understanding. Do open heart surgery on us. And in the end, God, I pray that we would give you the glory, the honor, and the praise because we're not just being hearers of the word but doers of the word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. And everybody said amen. So my first year in vocational ministry, y'all, I worked at this church called Sweet Home Missionary Baptist Church. Sweet Home is an amazing, amazing church. Still very close with some of the people who still attend that church. Uh, But the church was not nearly as large as the church that you and I are a part of today. So whenever we did Christmas services, whenever we did Easter services, because the staff was so much smaller, it took a ton of volunteers to make it happen. There was this young lady who had been a part of the church. Her name was Sister Sharon Hill. Sister Sharon Hill, y'all, had been a part of Sweet Home for more than 20 years. And Sister Hill was one of those young ladies to where if you've got a problem with Sister Hill, chances are the problem is not with Sister Hill. The problem is with you. And on one of these days, I figured out that the problem was with me. As this young pastor who thought he had it all together, who thought he was big and bad, the reality was, y'all, is that I, at moments, was a bit of a jerk. As a matter of fact, I had these moments where I would literally put my foot in my mouth, and you're about to hear about how I did it one time. So Sister Sharon Hill got her team of volunteers. They put together all of the staging, all of the costumes, all of the props for our Christmas production. She was super excited for it. She comes and she says, hey, Pastor Brent, come take a look at the stage. I walk into the sanctuary. I step back and I see like these images, these figures that are on the stage and I'm not quite sure what they are. Sister Sharon Hill, I look at her and say, hey, Sister Hill, what's those images on the stage? And she says, oh, those are the wise men. And I say, man, them look like the ghosts from Christmas past. Y'all, in that moment, Sister Sharon Hill should have slapped the taste out of my mouth. And I could tell by what I said it hurt her. I could tell by what I said it disappointed her. What I said did not make her feel good. But here's what I figured out later on down the line that Sister Sharon Hill did. She fought me with faith and not with feelings. She figured if I could just place him in God's hands, God will deal with this little young whippersnapper who think he's somebody. And that's exactly what happened, and I'll tell you how the story ends once we get towards the tail end of the message. But before we do, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse number 10. Here's what I want to tell you really quickly about Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. This particular passage has nothing to do with relationships. This is actually Paul writing to the church at Ephesus And what Paul does, beginning at verse number 10, is he gives the church at Ephesus a final piece of advice on how to go into spiritual warfare against the enemy. But let me say this. Even though this passage has nothing to do with relationships, I believe the principles that Paul teaches in this passage still apply to you and I when we find ourselves in conflict with others. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse number 10. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11. 
Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Verse 12, he says, this is so important, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Pastor Brent, why is this passage important? What does it have to do with you and I having a conversation on relationships? Here's one of the things that I know about the enemy, y'all. The enemy does not fight fair. And one of the things he will do is he will use people to throw you off course. I never will forget earlier on in my marriage, my wife and I were bickering and we were going back and forth and 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 back and forth. And one day I was in my bedroom and I read this passage and I recognized in this moment that, wait a minute. This entire time I've been looking at my wife as my enemy. When in actuality, my wife has never been my enemy. The enemy is my enemy. And it came to this point where I recognized that he wasn't fighting fair and he was trying to do all he can to pit her and I against one another. Could I suggest to you that sometimes in some of the conflicts that you have with people, that maybe, just maybe, the person in front of you isn't really the person you're in a fight against? What if there's something taking place behind the scenes, a person you can't see that's trying to destroy the relationship? So what do I do when I come to this realization that, hey, you know what? They're really not my enemy. Satan's my enemy. Here's what Paul tells the church at Ephesus to do. He says, I want you to put on the whole armor of God. Let's continue reading the passage. Here's what he says in verse number 13. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Verse 14, he says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Many translations say, put on the breastplate of righteousness. So here's the two pieces that Paul talks about here in Ephesians chapter 6. Number one, he says, if you're going to put on God's armor, you need to put on first the belt of truth. Now, some would say the belt of truth must be God's word, but I would argue verse 16 says that God's word is the sword of the spirit. So if the belt of truth isn't God's word, then what is the truth? I believe, y'all, that you and I, when we wake up in the morning, before you ever go downstairs to make your coffee, before you ever begin to make the kids breakfast, that you put on your belt of truth, which is your belt of character and integrity. Because here's the reality. Nothing will ruin your reputation or a relationship more when you and I fail to walk out a life of character and a life of integrity. But then here's the second thing he says I want you to put on. He says I want you to put on this breastplate of righteousness. Now, here's the beautiful news about you and I who have been declared righteous once we said yes to Jesus. 
Once we said yes to Jesus, Jesus then declares us righteous, which means he puts us in right standing with him. And that right standing with him should cause you and I, and we talked a little bit about this during the series, should put you and I in this position to where now we are living this transformed life. The reason why we've got to wear this righteousness is because you're going to deal with some folks who are ratchet. So how do I combat their ratchetness? I wear God's righteousness. Because here's the reality. When you and I get hurt, the enemy likes to play with our heart. And Scripture teaches you and I that the heart is deceitful and wicked. So when Paul says, wear the breastplate of righteousness, he's basically saying you got to make sure that you guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, it says this, above all else, guard your heart for it will determine the course of your life. There's a person in this room that's listening to me right now. There's a person that's watching online and you are hurt and in pain and upset and mad at what they did to you. And here's my piece of advice to you. Whatever you do, protect your heart because the enemy is coming. He's going to try to distort you. He's going to try to make you act out of character. He's going to make you, contra- make you act contrary to how God has wired you now that you've put your faith in him. So he says, we're the breastplate of righteousness. What does he go on and say next? He says in verse number 15, he says, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Here's what Paul is basically saying. When you find yourself fighting with faith and not with feelings, I want you to walk in peace. We talked about this one week. He said, hey, I want you to be a peacemaker. Watch this. Here's the reason why I can walk in peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. The reason why I can be a peacemaker is because I've got this gospel, which is also called the good news. Here's the beautiful part about believers who have the gospel that indwells on the inside of them. I don't care what bad news people bring to your life. Their bad news will never be able to trump God's good news. Say it a different way. As I walk in this peace that God has given me, because I'm walking in a peace that surpasses all understanding, even though I'm hurt, even though I'm broken, even though there are issues in our relationship, because I've got the gospel, here's what I know. Your bad news is the weapon that is trying to form against me, but the good news lets me know that it ain't going to prosper. Watch this. There have been some moments and some nights where I have cried myself to sleep and it did not feel good. But this gospel tells me that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I'm just trying to let somebody know this morning that you can put on all of God's armor and no matter what the attack looks like, you can still walk in peace. Look at what God's, Paul goes on to say about the rest of the armor. He then says uh, in verse number 16, in addition to all of these, he says, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Here's what Paul says. He says, wear your armor, 
but don't forget your guard. And here's the shield that I want you to wear. I want you to wear this shield of faith. And I want you to carry it because I want you to rely on it. What's the shield of faith? I have this faith that says no matter what happens in my life, I put my trust in God. No matter how bad the relationship looks, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus because I know that I serve a God who has the ability to reconcile, to heal, and to restore any broken relationship in my life. And I know that they may say some bad things. I know that the enemy may plant some things in my mind, but I've got on the whole armor of God. I got my shield of faith and I'm placing them in God's hands because I'm fighting with faith not with feelings. And look at what Paul goes on to say next. He says this. He says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There are only two places that I know that are typically automatic kill spots in a person's life, the heart and the head. And here's what he says. Hey, I want you to wear around your head the greatest gift that has ever been given to the world and it is the gift of salvation. And the reason why I want you to wear it around your head because salvation is this amazing, amazing gift of God's grace and of God's mercy in your life. But watch this, because you are now saved, I don't treat them or you don't treat them as their sins deserve because you've been transformed. Now that I've said yes to Jesus, I live a certain way that's different from how I lived before I said yes to Jesus. Now that I said yes to Jesus, I treat people a different way that I might not have necessarily treated them before I said yes to Jesus. And then here's what he says. He says, I want you to carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me ask you a question. How much different would your life look if you spent less time on Netflix and more time in the Word? How much different would your life look if your screen time went down and your word time went up? Can I tell you a secret? When you and I are fighting for relationships that we deeply care, we've got to go into the battle equipped with God's word. You want to know one thing I know about the enemy? He knows this word. He knows it backwards and forward. Why don't you? Ooh, help me, Holy Ghost. Let me walk back real quick. <laughs> Look at what Paul says next. He says this. He says, verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Once you wear that armor, now there's something you got to do, and you've got to become a prayer warrior. One of the things that I'm seeing so often is that you and I treat prayer as a casual activity. But the reality is, is if you want a strong prayer life, you've got to be intentional about it. Prayer cannot be casual. You've got to be in 
intentional. As a matter of fact, there's this movie that came out years ago. It's one of my favorite movies. It's a movie called War Room. If you've never seen the movie, I recommend you go see the movie. There's this amazing preacher lady who stars in the movie by the name of Priscilla Shire. And she plays this character where her and her husband's marriage is completely and totally falling apart. And she meets this woman who's so much further and so much older and so much more mature in her faith. And this woman, God places it on her heart to just be, not only befriend Priscilla, but then to train her up how to fight for her marriage, which is falling apart. And there's this scene in the movie where she invites her over and she gives her a cup of coffee and uh, she drinks the cup of coffee and she's like, oh, this is so disgusting because the coffee was lukewarm. And what she was trying to show her is your prayer life, your Christian life has been a lukewarm cup of coffee. Now, just in case you guys don't understand the analogy of lukewarm coffee, let me help you out a little bit. My favorite coffee shops around this place are Black Rock and then the coffee shop right out here. They make amazing coffee. Whenever I go order my coffee at the coffee shop, I only order two types of coffee. I either order my coffee hot or I order my coffee cold. I would dare not ever order it lukewarm because it's nasty. And if you're here today and you order your coffee lukewarm, I just want you to know that there is prayer available down here at the altar. We can lay your hands on you right now. But here's the thing, what this woman is trying to teach her is, listen, when it comes to your prayer life in your Christian life, it cannot be lukewarm when you're in spiritual battle. It's got to either be hot or cold. So here's what Priscilla does. She goes to her house, she cleans out the closet, and then she starts to put all of these scriptures on the wall in her closet. And the beautiful part about her writing the scriptures is she wants to see those scriptures, not necessarily to memorize those scriptures, but she wants those scriptures written on her heart so that she can live them out. And when she's in this closet, she is praying for her husband day and night, day and night, day and night, praying God's grace over his life, praying God's mercy over his life, praying that God would do exceedingly abundantly above all that he could ask, think, or imagine and reconcile and restore their relationship. And spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, God moves and does some amazing things and the two of them come back together. Can I challenge you really quick to just try prayer? Try prayer in your relationships. Try prayer as you navigate conflict, and I can guarantee you that God will respond. Here's the other reason why prayer is important, though. Prayer is important because when you and I fight a person with feelings, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change them. Can I give you a newsflash? Breaking news. You can't change nobody. I don't care how many times you text them. I don't care how many times you call them. I don't care how many uh, letters you write to them. You can't change them. I don't care if you send them to 2030s on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock in the student center. You still can't change them. Here's the reality. Only God can change a person. What would it look like if you and I stopped trying to fix them and made the decision to love them. Let me show you something real quick in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is having an amazing conversation, a debate, if you will, with the Pharisees. And they thought they had Jesus caught in this trap, and they asked him a question. Matthew 22, beginning at verse number 34, here's what it says. 
It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. Verse 39, and second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Did you notice in this particular passage, when the Pharisees asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus didn't say, oh, the greatest commandment is to fix them. (laughs) Notice in this passage, Jesus didn't say, oh, the greatest commandment is to change them. He says the greatest commandment is to love them. Getting back to Sister Hill, that's exactly what she did to me. See, after I said what I said, I saw Sister Hill a couple of times that week because they were still putting things together. And here's what Sister Hill did. Instead of coming up to me and telling me about the grievance and telling me about how wrong I was and she probably should have, here's what Sister Hill did. She was patient with me. She was kind to me. Immediately after I did what I did, the senior pastor found out about it. He called me uh, in his office and tore me a new one. (laughs) It's the first time in my adult life I'm dead serious. I literally thought I was about to get fired. I know Sister Hill found out about it. Here's the cool thing. She didn't throw it in my face. In fact, she didn't keep the record of wrong. I don't know if you know what I'm doing but I'm walking you through 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul writes about love, where he says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it keeps no record of wrong, it does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. She didn't try and fix me. She placed me in God's hands, and she loved me. How does it end? Give me five minutes. You'll find out. Before I tell you, I want to read one more passage of Scripture to you. It's found in Luke chapter 15. Turn with me there real quick. Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin at verse number 11. Here's my final piece of advice as it relates to placing a person in God's hands and fighting with faith and not with feelings. Here's what I want you to do person who you're trying to fix, the person who you're trying to correct, the person who probably needs some fixing and needs some correcting, I don't want you to hold them. I want you to welcome them. Pastor Brent, what do you mean don't hold them, but welcome them? Let's look at what this passage says. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and here's what he says, beginning at verse number 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money and wild living. So here it is. This father has two sons. One son got his life together. But that other one, he's that wayward child. You know, I don't know if we got parents here that got multiple kids. Like you love all your kids, but sometimes you just got that one. Here was that one. 
yeah, we definitely got some parents in here like that. So um, he's got that one, and this one is a selfish kid. And here's how I know he's selfish. You're not supposed to get your parents' inheritance before they have a chance to meet Jesus, y'all. He's got the audacity to go up to his father and ask for his inheritance before. Now, thank God I'm not the father in this text because, number one, he never would have got the money. Number two, the young man leaves the house, and instead of trying to hold him, lets him go. He literally places him in God's hands. This is an act of faith because there's no guarantee he'll never see his son again. There's no guarantee his son will ever come back home. But instead of trying to hold them, he lets them go. Look at how the rest of the text plays out. Verse number uh, 14 goes on to say this. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pots he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Y'all, can I give you a newsflash real quick? I know that there are some people who you would like to punish and like to get even with, but here's one of the things I've learned. You and I can never punish a person worse than God can. Here it is. This selfish young boy had to get bopped upside the head by God. He wastes all his money. And at the right time, God causes a recession to take place. Matter of fact, this boy goes from eating filet mignon. Now all of a sudden, if you're from the South, he got to eat chitlins and pig feet. <laughs> you talk about a change in diet. The reason why I bring this up is because I want you to realize that you don't have to fight these folks with your feelings. Fight them with your faith. Let God give them the whooping that they need to get. It ain't your job to do that. Let God be God. You be you. You be a disciple. Look at how the rest of the text goes on. Because he didn't hold them, here's what, Paul, uh, here's what uh, Jesus says, is the rest of the story. He says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the higher servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a higher servant. So now this young man finally gets it together. He realized he's been out of line, and look what happens. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, welcomed him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called to your son. Verse 22, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost. But now he is found, and y'all, the party began. Watch this. I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity of being, welcome, being able to welcome a person that you love because you're so busy trying to punish them, because you're so busy trying to fix them, because you're so busy trying to hold on to them. Place them in God's hands and fight with faith 
not with feelings. Lastly, let me end with this, talking about Sister Sharon Hill. So we're in church. Church is good. Worship is good. And at our church, we used to have what's called Welcome and Fellowship. It's at the point in the middle of the service where you get the opportunity to stand up and go greet the people around you. I saw Sister Sharon Hill. She was sitting somewhere over there. I was sitting over here. So during Welcome and Fellowship, I walk up to Sister Sharon Hill. And I say, Sister Hill, I just want you to know that I am so sorry for what I said to you. Will you forgive me? Y'all, Sister Sharon Hill, she stood up. And she gave me the biggest hug ever. And here's what she did next. You know how them old mothers, they grab you by like both your wrists right here. They pull you in. And she looked at that man. She just said, thank you. Because she placed me in God's hands, because she didn't try to fix me, because she didn't try to correct me, God dealt with me. God turned my heart to the right posture. All I'm asking as we wrap up the series, when we fight in faith, not in feelings, do me a favor. Would you be willing to just place them in God's hands? We're about to do something really cool. Matter of fact, I think it's going to be so powerful, I'm not even going to leave. I'm going to just step to the side. Here's what we're going to get ready to do. Every single one of you, when you walked in here today, you were given a piece of paper. I want you to take that piece of paper out. And on that sheet of paper... I know as I've been teaching, preaching, there's a person that's come to your mind who you've been trying to fix. A person that's come to your mind who you've been trying to correct. A person that comes to your mind who is hard-headed, needs correction, but you also want this person know and love Jesus, and you want the relationship between the two of you to work. On that sheet of paper, I want you to write that person's name down. You can write the first name. You don't got to write the whole name. Jesus knows. If they nickname is boo-boo, you write boo-boo down, okay? And here's what I want you to do. The band's going to come. They're going to sing one more song. They're going to lead us in worship, but here's what I want you to do. As they sing, This cross is going to come forward. And in the middle of them singing, as an act of faith, I want you to get out of your chair. And I want you to lay that relationship, lay that person down at the foot of the cross. Now, it's a whole lot of us in here. So you can lay it anywhere on this stage. You don't got to come right in the center. But I want you to lay it down on this stage. And once everyone's laid their card down, I'm going to come back. And as a church, we're going to pray over every single one of these cards. Now lead us in that prayer. This is my hope as we land the plane on this series, Relationship Restart. The goal is not to get back at them, it's to get back with them. And I don't want you to fight with feelings, I want you to fight with faith. So as a church together, by faith, we're gonna place that person in God's hands. Clean hands.
Jesus, we come right now with a heart of gratitude. A heart that just simply says, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for being the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. And as we sing this song, Lord, we ask, we seek, we pray. First, we seek, asking God that you would make us more like you. Completely and totally transform our hearts, transform our minds, transform the way we think, transform the way we treat people. Secondly, God, we ask that you would fill us with more of you. So just like the story we read in Luke 15 with the prodigal son, that when this moment comes up in our lives with these names that we have down here at the cross, that we would have this posture to where we're ready to love them and welcome them. Because we're no longer fighting with feelings, but we're fighting with faith. But then we pray for every single name that is down here on this stage. And this is our prayer, God. There are names on this stage that are someone's husband, someone's wife, someone's brother, someone's sister, someone's son, someone's daughter, someone's co-worker. Father, the same grace that you gave us, would you give that grace to them? The same mercy that you gave us, would you give that mercy to them? The same love that you show us, would you show that love to them? And Father, I am praying for those who are out here in this sanctuary, who are watching online, that are hoping for miracles to take place in this relationships. God, we know that you are the miracle worker. And for the God that we serve, there is nothing impossible that you can not do. So God, would you heal? God, would you restore? God, would you make new? God, would you reconcile? God, would you bring it all back together? And Father, there are even names who are represented down here at this stage who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray that your saving grace would impact their lives and would change them forever. And for those who may be represented down here at this stage that live with us in our home, God, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to put our hope in you and that we would stop fighting them, that we would stop trying to fix them, but as we place them in your hands, that we'd simply love them the same way that you love us. And no matter what happens, God, we will give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. And everybody said, amen. Come on, y'all. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Wow, what an awesome message. That was so powerful and impactful. And if that really impacted you in any way and you just need to talk through some things, do not hesitate. You can text prayer to 21999 and we are here and we would love to know how we can pray for you. Other than that, we hope that you are just blessed through the rest of your week and we'll see you next weekend.